Hey, Cole, are you ready to kick off the New Year's here at Second to Die? Sure, I'm just pretending the entire past year never happened. Good, because I got a New Year's-themed horror movie this week that's really going to make you say, wow, the 80s did hate women. Oh, boy. Welcome to Second to Die, a horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. I'm Max. And I'm Cole. And we're your hosts this week and every week. Today, I'm... For the rest of time. Sorry. Well, for the rest of our time, I guess. Hopefully it's brief. (laughs) Thanks. So, I'm doing a New Year's themed horror movie because... We're kind of in the period between Christmas and New Year's or whatever holiday people want to recognize in New Year's. And at first I was like, I don't know, am I going to be able to find a New Year's themed horror movie? But apparently there's a lot of them. And I found one that I thought would be good because it's made in 1980. And also the title of it is New Year's Evil. Oh, Oh, sweet baby, no. No, I could tell you right now that wouldn't be good. But see, you know I love puns. Yes. So I was like, this movie is going to be super cool. You heard it right here, folks. I have married the one person on this planet who likes puns. Yeah, so I was really excited about it, though. And I was like, New Year's Evil, that sounds cool. And I knew, obviously, it had to take place on New Year's. And then also, then I read the synopsis for it, which I'm about to tell you. I'm very excited. (laughs) I feel like it's a little problematic. Anyways. Oh, boy. Here it it goes. Lonely women wanting to celebrate New Year's Eve become easy prey for a maniacal murdering misogynist whose New Year's resolution is to kill women at every stroke of midnight. There's only one. Well, okay. So it goes through the time zones. Does he like... I don't know why I did, like, a horse riding motion. <laughs> Does he ride a horse? No. Does he trample them? No. Does he draw and quarter them? Also no. Oh, then I'm not interested. <laughs> so, the movie takes place in Hawaii, which I didn't even figure out until the, literally the end of the movie when, like, they're listening to the radio and it says something about Hawaii or Honolulu or something. And so, it's like he kills his first person at Eastern Standard Time and then oh. Central and then Mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That's what it is. But the ki- the murders all happen in Hawaii. Nothing in this movie indicates that it is in Hawaii except for the radio. Not that I don't know what else it would be. Like, I don't know what I was expecting, like luau's or something. But like, anyways, let's move on. I thought it was Los Angeles because what isn't Los Angeles these days? So, okay, it was made in 1980. It came out five days before the New Year's Eve of 1981, which I thought maybe they thought was going to bump sales i didn't even see how well it did i don't think it did very well i know it was really badly reviewed i think the i think the metacritic score was like 13 out of 100 or something it was bad (laughs) oh shit okay see yeah yeah it was directed and co-written by emmett alston and the other co-writer was leonard neubauer cast I don't know. There's only a couple characters. The main character is, she's played by Roz Kelly. The character's name is Diane Sullivan, but she has a nickname of Blaze because she's she's supposed to be this like rock goddess. I don't know who to compare her to other than Gem and the Holograms. Kind of like that, but a little bit more edgy. My first thought was maybe like Susie from Susie and the Banshees that I've recently kind of like introduced you to, but Less gothy, maybe more like Jem, but if Jem had like joined the Misfits. Yeah. Because, but here's the weird thing about it. I'm I'd, saying, yeah, like I could name any of the songs by any of these. Well, wait, was there actually like a Gem in the Holograms or was it just a show? Well, it was a show, but they did sing in the show. Okay, close enough. But, um, and then, you know, their nemesis were the, or their nemeses were the Misfits who were like the punk rock girl group. They were like neon. They didn't wear black. They were like neon green, like leopard print and stuff. But it and you know, because that was like whatever. And Jem was just wearing pink, like you do. Yeah, real girls wear pink. This is the world that we grew up in. So it's the world you grew up in, sir. <laughs> I may be thirty, but I'm only thirty. So okay, 
So she's supposed to be, okay, the reason I brought that up is, I don't have a picture of her, I almost feel like maybe I should pull it up, but I won't. She looks like, literally like somebody's mom who put on like far too much blush and then is wearing like borderline age-inappropriate clothing. Although I'll caveat this by saying, at any age you can wear whatever you want, but sometimes it does look a little weird. This is true. I think people can wear whatever they want whenever they want. But I also can think that it's like a like gonna raise a little eyebrow action. I would never say you can't wear that, but I'm gonna eyebrow raise you. Very early on in our relationship, fun fact: I picked Max up drunk, wandering around downtown New Orleans wearing a unicorn onesie. Y- yeah, I mean that's true. I would, I would never criticize what somebody's wearing, <laughs> but you know, whatever. Anyway, let's move on. So she's like the main person. Her husband is richard sullivan he's i don't know uh, he's kind of a big part i'll i'll get into it but i'm not going to talk about anybody any of the other actors none of them are really that important so this movie was criticized essentially okay so it was kind of criticized but also just in general people were talking about it how it like tackled misogyny and i was like okay i'm curious to see what this is this movie does not tackle misogyny so much as almost just kind of like i don't want to say lauds it but it doesn't seem to be a problem for it. Yikes. And essentially, I'll get to it when I get to the end of it. But essentially, the killer is basically like, I killed all these people because women are the worst. And it seems like the message is that that is just the case. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say about it. Mm. And I know this is the 80s, but like, holy moly, man, it was heavy handed. Most of the other negative reviews were really just saying that it just does not stand out as a horror movie. Keep in mind, this is only a couple of years after Halloween. So people were kind of into slashers. And I think this was made to try to capitalize on the popularity of slasher flicks. But this just went about it in the wrong ways. And I'll tell you, one of the most weird choices that this movie makes is you see the killer's face from the start. And he just kind of looks like a normal creepster dude. And it's weird to me. Because he looks kind of like a little bit like a dad or something. And you know exactly who he is. Whereas, like, there's no mystery to it at all. So this movie, the suspense level, is like zero. Like 0.0. Yeah. Anyways, I'm going to just jump into the movie. Because, like, who cares? Also, I'll I'll just preface this by saying this movie is terrible. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right, so it begins with Diane, who I'll just, I guess, call Blaze. She's getting ready. This was funny. She's getting ready, and her manager is basically, like, in her dressing room. And she's like, you're going to be late. You're going to, or he's like, you're going to be late. You're going to be late. And she goes, Ernie, baby, do me a favor. Drop a load and relax. And here's the thing. I grew up in the 80s. I do not recall that being slang. So, like, what the fuck does that mean? I mean, was she, to me, all I heard was, just take a shit and relax, man. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking of a different kind of load. Oh, of course you would be. <laughs> oh, I have coworkers who listen to this. <laughs> I feel like I think that every time I'm like, I make a dirty joke and I'm just like, all right, Denise and Lara, here we go. <laughs> yeah, so... I just thought that that was funny, but this movie, I will say, does not waste any time getting to the killing because literally, I checked the timestamp, three minutes into the movie, they already kill off the only black character in the entire film. Oh, oh boy. (laughs) Yes. Yikes. It is apparently Blaze's best friend, um, Yvonne or something like that, and she is killed off. In the first three minutes. And funny thing. So she's kind of doing this thing where she's like getting ready to take a shower, but she is not naked. I expected that, but it's not happening. And then somebody comes into her room and then you see like hands kind of grab her. So, you know, she's dead. And then at some point, like over halfway through the movie, Blaze is like, has anybody seen Yvonne? And (laughs) what? (laughs) Holy shit. That's awful (laughs) yeah and then she's talking to the detectives because somebody had been killed at this point she goes also my friend Yvonne has been missing for like two days and she was supposed to be in this hotel and the detective is like oh or maybe not two days maybe I think it might have been the same day what the fuck (laughs) and then here's the other crazy thing the movie ends 
And they never find Yvonne, nor do they ever talk about her being murdered. It just, like, is never brought up again. Everybody else who's murdered, their bodies are found eventually as part of the plot. But not her. This is, like, the cliche, like, problematic horror movie person of color always dies first. Like, I feel like this is what people joke about, and it shouldn't be a real movie. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like cliches come from somewhere. And if people are thinking, oh, that's so tired, that didn't happen. Let me tell you, the 80s were a wild time and it 100% happened. And it happened in this movie and it's a great example of it. Literally, I mean, literally, there is not another person of color, period, in this movie. Except for Yvonne. She has one scene and it's literally when she's killed at three minutes into the movie. And then honestly, really nobody cares about it. Fuck. Yeah. So... Okay. Oh, that's this. The credits roll after that scene. Like she's literally killed before the opening credits. Yikes. So that being said, the opening credit scene is great. There's good music in this. I think what they were going for with this movie is this sort of hybrid of like 80s glam rock meets a horror slasher because the opening theme song is this song called I mean, well, it's called New Year's Evil. I don't know if it was written for this. I didn't look it up because I didn't care enough about it, but I think it was, and it was actually quite good. And then there's a band that's performing during the, like, random little parts. The movie, just to give you a quick intro to the plot, basically Blaze is hosting this, like, New Year's countdown, this, like, rockin' New Year's countdown thing, and there's, like, live band, and she's the host, and there's, like, call-ins for people to talk about New Year's resolutions and, like, song requests and stuff. So there is like a good soundtrack and there's like white people moshing and it looks really boring. I used to go to like concerts with mosh pits, obviously, and they did not look like real mosh pits. They looked like movie ones where they were like, okay, now everyone pretend to mosh, but nobody hurt anybody. That is not what mosh pits were like. I don't even know what mosh pits are. So mosh pits are basically, okay, so you know how like white people can't dance? Well, so not mosh pits were basically where white people would throw themselves, I say that, it's everybody. Anybody who goes to these concerts would th- literally just kind of like thrash about and throw themselves into each other instead of dancing. And it was a pit. And you would literally just like be like jumping into each other and whatever. And that's that. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's the best way to describe it. It's literally and people would get like really hurt. That's the real horror here, because I cannot tell you how little I want someone that close to me. Uh, yeah. They're, I mean, they're really crowded. No, fuck that. Even pre-COVID. Fuck that. No, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go to a lot of concerts like that, but uh, I mean, I've seen Romstein three times. And so I, that there are mosh pits at those concerts. There was not a mosh pit at Lilith Fair. <laughs> that was my first concert for anybody who cares. The first Lilith Fair, I might add. I was really big into Sarah McLaughlin. I was a weird kid. <laughs> it was like Sarah McLaughlin and Marilyn Manson. That's like literally what I was into when I was in high school. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's get back to this movie. Um, okay, so basically, Blaze is doing this thing, and she gets this phone call from this guy who's using this voice modulator, and he's, like, being a super creep, and he's like, I have a New Year's resolution. I'm going to commit murder at midnight. I'm going to kill somebody you know, somebody close to you, uh, at the stroke of every midnight hour. So Blaze is like, oh, man, that sucks. So anyways, I'm just going to kind of, like, blaze. <laughs> I was about to say I'm going to kind of blaze through them. No. I'm just going to kind of go through them a little bit. Is that too much even for you? (laughs) So the first person who gets killed is Jane. She's a nurse who works at the sanitarium. And it's really funny because they, so he says he's going to kill people that are close to Blaze, but they don't really do a good job at explaining why these people are close to her. Like literally Jane is this nurse at the sanitarium and she gets killed first and they don't tell you anything about the connection between her and blaze until literally the end of the movie when the killer who i'll tell you who it is at the end but the killer basically is like i killed jane and like blaze is like you killed jane and like that's that like it's like oh i guess that's somebody i don't know somebody she went to high school with what the fuck like that i don't this movie is so stupid it's so bad it sounds terrible so, and okay, so the way that the killer kills Jane is that he poses as a doctor and shows up to the sanitarium and is like, they called me in to help to, for, for some extra help on New Year's. And the nurse is like, we could sure use it. She also talks in this kind of like weird voice. 
And so, but then there's nobody in, like, they're on an empty floor and they're going to work together in a room and they're alone in this room. And I'm like, why did they need extra help? There's literally nobody in this hospital. Also, like, why are you like, okay, random stranger I've never seen before who has no badge, no credentials, no nothing. Yes, I will give you sharp objects and medical equipment. Please come into this room alone with me. Yeah, well, and then they get in there and he pulls out a bottle of champagne and so then they, because it's New Year's, they start drinking champagne. And then he's like, will you dance with me? And she's like, normally I would say no. And then he's like, but what about tonight? And she's like, no. So then they start dancing and then they start making out. And then at the stroke of midnight, he has a tape recorder thing. It's not like a big boom box, but it's kind of like that. Hits record and then stabs her and murders her. Then he calls the Blaze show and plays the recording of her being murdered on the telephone to prove that he murdered somebody. Okay, that's kind of fun. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so that happens. That's the first murder. Then we're kind of introduced to Blaze's son, Derek, who is, like, really weird. And I don't understand his role in this movie other than to be weird. And he's, like, sitting in front of a mirror. He had decided that he did not want to go to Blaze's thing, I guess... There's supposed to be this story. They only they explain this like at the end of the movie. There's supposed to be the story where he feels like his mother has like coddled him and overshadowed him and he can't be successful because like he wants to be an actor and the only reason he gets cast in roles is because she hooks him up for using her fame and fortune and whatever. Anyways, so he's like sitting in a mirror talking to himself and then he pulls out this like red nylon stocking and like puts it over his face and then <laughs> puts like an earring on and is just like saying weird stuff i don't understand it does not come into the movie at all like that's just it just happens and then he takes a handful of pills i don't really get what's happening with him so anyways that and that scene just that's the that's the end of it we're done okay so next death is this girl sally sally is- wait i'm sorry <laughs> it, that just hit me he's not even the next death that was just in there for no reason he's not killed at all Oh. Oh, boy. All right. Back to Sally. Okay. So Sally is cool because she's like very 80s looking. She has like bright red lipstick, blue eyeshadow. She also talks in this like great baby stripper voice. (laughs) And she is out with her roommate, Lisa. Oh, boy. Yeah. So so basically she's out at a bar and the killer is at the bar and kind of like picks her up. They do not ever explain the connection between Sally and Blaze. So I don't know why, but she is the next death. And he, basically the guy is posing as like an agent and puts on a fake mustache. I just, the reason I'm talking slowly is it just dawned on me why he puts that fake mustache on. <laughs> but I'll talk about it later because it has to do with who the killer is. <laughs> Anyways, I need to start moving along here because there's too much. Uh, so he ends up killing Sally Sally, I will say, while they're driving, he basically is like, let's go to this party. And so they're driving. Oh, and Sally's like, I have to take my roommate, Lisa, because I'm not going to go somewhere with a stranger because something bad could happen. And Lisa ends up getting killed, too, literally because she was taken as the safety friend. And that has to suck for Lisa. I'm not going to lie. Poor Lisa. And so in the car, she's talking. She's basically talking to him about. Like, he's really stressed out because he's trying to get to this place to kill her, and he needs to do it by midnight, and there's traffic, so he's running late. And she's like, you need to calm down. You should try TM, you know, Transcendental Meditation. And he gives her this, like, what the fuck look, and I'm kind of on board with that. Don't you hate it when you're (laughs) liberal and you're stuck in traffic. Yeah. And so then she's like, yeah, meditation really helped for me. And then I tried Est, and then I tried Zen. Let me take a brief moment to tell you what Est is, because I've talked about this a little bit before. You remember how I was in that cult? Oh, we're bringing up the cult now. I'm not going to talk about it in depth right now. I'll save that for another episode because it's too long of a story. Est is what that cult was based off of. And she's like, yeah, I used to do, I did Est for a while. Anyways, side note, I'll talk about my cult experiences at a more cult-like episode. So... So, okay, so he ends up, basically what happens is they stop at a convenience store. He sends Lisa in to go buy some champagne. He suffocates Sally with a plastic bag. Lisa comes out. The car is gone. She follows this trail of, like, Sally's belongings, like her purse and stuff, to a dumpster. She opens up the dumpster, and the killer is hiding in and grabs her. Long story short, they both get killed. Moving on. 
The next people to get killed. Well, so here's the weird thing. Okay, so the next person he kills is kind of weird because I don't feel like there's any connections. He goes to this drive-in movie theater and steals a car and the girl is still in the back seat of it. Like he throws the guy out and the girl is still in the back seat. At one point he stops and she runs, but he follows her. And it's kind of funny because she's running into, there are trees. It's not like a forest, but there's like, it's like a woods or something like that. And she's literally like panicking, but she's panicking and crying and sobbing so loudly that that's how he's tracking her. And I was just like, girl, shut up. <laughs> that's me. Anytime someone around me cries. Oh, so, I mean, seriously. <laughs> okay. So anyways, okay. So then the killer goes to the hotel. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Oh boy. All of this is taking place at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> so he goes to the Holiday Inn. And he sneaks into the hotel. At this point, they obviously knew about the killings because, well, they knew they were real because he was calling in and playing the recordings. So the hotel's on lockdown. They, for some reason, are like, we think it's something about you. They tell Blaze, we think it's something about you, so we're going to lock the hotel down because we think you are the final murder. Okay. So the hotel is locked down. The killer goes to the hotel, changes into this white tracksuit, Puts on a mask that I did not until the end figure out that I believe it is a Richard Nixon mask. And then he goes into the he goes into Blaze's hotel room and he's behind her. And she turns around and gasps and he takes off the mask and then she seems okay. Why does she seem okay? Because it is the killer. We know this because we've seen his face. Because the killer is dun 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 Richard Sullivan, Diane's husband. And here's the other weird thing. So all of these murders are supposed to be people that Diane knows. Oh, it took me a minute. I forgot Blaze's real name. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Blaze's husband. So the killer is her husband. Yes. It literally doesn't make any sense. It reminded me a little bit of that Bob's Burgers episode where it's the murder dinner theater. And Linda just says says that she's the murderer, even though there's like nothing to like lead up to it. She's like, the murderer was me. Anyways. So... Oh, Bob's Burgers. But he's, of course, pretending not to be the murderer. Well, yeah. Okay. So a bunch of bullshit happens. Like, Blaze goes into an elevator and, like, he messes with the cable so that it starts to plummet to the ground. And then he stops at, like, floor three. Then he ends up going into the elevator with her, the husband does, and is, like, comforting her because she's like, oh, that was so dramatic. And then he brings his boombox and he hits play. And it's the sounds of people being murdered. And she's like, are you the murderer? And he was like... Yes. Yes, I am. And she's like, why? And this is where we get this gem. Oh, God. I can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. He says, because I'm fed up. You were just like every other lady in my life. Derek told me about the way you behave around other men. And he proceeds to go on this hyper toxic rant, calling women, quote, manipulative, deceitful, immoral, and very selfish. He then also talks about how he was mad because he has been living off of an allowance that Blaze gives him because she's famous and rich, and it emasculated him and basically made him feel worthless. So, in order to, I guess, express or um, fight these feelings, he decided he had to kill women. I'm not even joking. This is literally the plot of this movie. And then at one point, he goes on to talk about how this is the only part where Derek comes into play. He talks about how Derek went for an audition and used a fake name so that nobody knew who his mother was. And he got the audition and how liberating that was for him. And like, it was this weird speech about how like, oh, it sucks because women are helping too much. And I don't know, like this dude, if this were not the 80s, this dude would be like the king of Reddit. I can tell you that right now. Such fragile, fragile straight boys. Yep. And I mean, like I said, the thing is, it's like, it's she doesn't even respond with like, you have a fucked up view of women. It's literally like, he gives this explanation and it's just this like revelation moment of where he's like, this is why I have to kill women because women are terrible. And like, they- please tell me she doesn't apologize. She doesn't say anything really. Okay, good. I mean, I, not that, like, any of this is okay, but if they made her apologize, I would probably just throw up all over my microphone. Yep. So then, okay, so then he's, like, pulls out a knife, and he's, like, the only, there is kind of a good line where he's, like, she's, like, starts to talk, and he's, like, shh, 
And then he puts his head on her chest and he goes, I can hear your heart beating. And then he takes his head off her chest and he goes, I don't like that. Which is intense. Jesus. Yeah. So then, okay, there's a really kind of like drawn out scene. It's maybe like 10 minutes, but it felt like four effing ever where the police come. They chase him up to the roof. He puts the Nixon mask on and at the edge of the roof. And he's like, obviously realizing he can't get away. So then what do you do in a situation like that? Jump off the roof. No, but before you do that, you have to quote Hamlet. So then he says, to die, to sleep, no more. And by sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. And then jumps off the roof. This guy is an asshole. This movie. There are good wild rides and there are bad wild rides. This was one of the bad ones. What kind of a dick bag quote Shakespeare? Period. Well, I guess unless you're in a play. And then jumps off through. Like that was his, I don't know. That's so obnoxious to me. Hi, I'm an English major. I've never heard you quote Shakespeare to me. Hi, I'm Cole. I'm an English major and I have quoted Shakespeare before. It has been two years since my last Shakespeare (laughs) quote. Actually, I don't know how long it's been, but I have done it. Yeah, so, so he jumps off. So then his creepy son comes out and is like hugging his dad. They had not interacted through the whole movie. He's hugging his dad, who is dead on the floor face down. Does he still have the red stocking on? That's <laughs> what I really want. I really want him to just come out with the red stocking on and be like, Daddy, no. No, he took it off. So, but it's weird because he does kind of like nuzzle him really closely. And at one point, I could have sworn he was nibbling his dad's ear. I mean, it really looked like it. What the fuck? I don't, I don't know. What the fuck? This so, fucking book. Fuck. So then, okay. So movie, then. Whatever. Yeah, movie. So then they, the dad is dead. So then their Diane Blaze had been, I guess, survived. I don't know. She was cool. And then so, but she was on a stretcher because the elevator thing. And they put her in the ambulance and they sent her off on her way. And then all of a sudden it flashes and the ambulance driver is wearing the Richard Nixon mask. And then it pans over and the real ambulance driver is dead in the passenger seat. And that's the end of the movie. Then who was on the ground? And I think it, oh, the son had taken the mask. I'm sorry. So the son took the mask from the dad after he jumped off the roof. And so I'm guessing that the son is now in the ambulance and maybe is going to kill the mom because somebody has to kill her because she's a successful woman. Boom. New Year's evil. That sounds so bad. I mean, Jesus. The 80s were not a good time to be a woman or like anything that wasn't a straight white male. Let's be real. Even now, like it's the best it's ever been. And it's still not too great. Like there's a lot of work that still needs to be done there. You ain't wrong. Anyways, so that's New Year's Evil. It was absolutely terrible. Even, okay, so all that stuff aside about like, you know, hating women and whatnot. The movie had no tension, no suspense. The The death scenes were really stupid. It was just bad. So do not see this movie. But it was New Year's themed. So I guess there you go. Oh, the fir- so the music is good. If you want, you can look up the soundtrack to it and you can listen to the soundtrack because it's actually quite A+. So I'll give this movie an A plus for music and like literally like a D minus for plot and enjoyability. There we go. So it's kind of like one of the Twilight movies. I've never seen any of the Twilight movies. They're all terrible, but the soundtracks are all so fucking good. Mm. Anyways, that's my movie. Happy New Year's. Now tell me what you're going to talk about. All right. So this is the episode where I repent. Repent? Yes, where I'm repenting. So I'm sure most of our listeners who have listened to all of our backlog remember the episode where I did The Nest. And if you don't remember, all you need to know is people get eaten by roaches and a dude fucks a pile of leaves. I remember. Anyway, a lot of my friends, like real life in-person friends, are terrified of roaches. And I felt bad. And so I apologized by putting myself through the exact same experience. And that's why this week I am doing the 1978 Creature Swarm classic, Spiders, by Richard Lewis. Yay, spiders. No, not yay, spiders. (laughs) (laughs) quick rundown of the cover pretty simple it is a spider on a red background it's hairy there's a shadow it haunts my dreams looks like a tarantula huh 
Aren't tarantulas like friendly or something? No spider is friendly. <laughs> what about Peaches. those? What about those jumping water spider things? Jumping spiders with water droplets on their heads are the exception. They are precious and should be protected at all costs. I still don't want to see one. <laughs> The blurb is basically what you would expect from late 70s horror. The Kentish countryside was bathed in warm autumn sunshine. All around lay peace and tranquility. Maybe it was too peaceful, too ominously quiet, but who'd complain about that? Certainly not old Dan Mason energetically tugging weeds in his farmhouse garden. What he's uncovered there didn't alarm him, but it should have. For he had just released a seething army of death. Seething army of death is great. It would be a great band name. (laughs) So here's the thing that I've mentioned several times throughout the course of this podcast. Uh, I don't care for spiders. I'm scared shitless of spiders, actually. Uh, Fun story, gentle listener, about us. Very early in knowing each other, I called Max to come to my house at 5 o'clock in the morning to take care of a spider for me because it was enormous and I was terrified. Mm -hmm. I did that. You did. You did. You were a trooper. You came over, you saved the day, and the next thing I knew, I was married. (laughs) Yeah, that's not how that went. But yeah, pretty close. The book was a rough one for me. I kept having to stop. At various times, because every time the author described how the spiders moved, I would just start dry heaving. (laughs) Spiders scare me so much. I don't like spiders, but I don't think I'm necessarily scared by them. No, it's it's bad. I can't remember if I told you um, when the giant spider was in my apartment and I called you before I called you. But after I saw the spider, I just like threw up Mm. on the ground. Because my body was like, spider, no. Blah. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I don't love it, like big insects, but they or I guess a spider's not an insect, right? It's like um, arachnids. What do they call it? Arachnids, yeah. But it is what it is, whatever. They're awful. Anyway, let's dive into the story. So we open with Dan Mason, who is in his 60s, and the author takes great pains to discuss how he is super jacked. Just like super buff daddy. Mm. I'm here for that. uh, Yeah, no, totally okay with that. But like really, really buff. Like it's, it is made very clear. This is a very muscular man in his 60s. Anyway, he's doing some light gardening. Like all extremely muscular men in their 60s do. And he comes across a spider with a whole ass beetle in its jaws. Okay. And when he tries to smash the spider, the spider curls up into a protective ball, like some fucking like roly poly from my nightmares. Wait, so why is he smashing the spider? This is my thing with spiders and insects. I, and I think I've even talked about this before. I do not necessarily go out of my way to kill any living creature outside. I feel like that's their home. They can live. Just leave me alone. It's when they come into my house that I have a little bit of an issue with it. Like... This is my nest, like, you can't invade it, or I will, like, defend it. And I feel like that's just a natural thing. So, like, maybe he shouldn't have tried to crush that spider who was just trying to eat dinner. I think it was on his arm or something at that point. I can't remember. Ugh. Um, Okay. Then it bites him. uh, And then he does succeed in smashing it. But we are told that other spiders were watching him from the entrances of underground tunnels. (laughs) Bum, bum, bum. Are these spiders supernaturally sentient or is it just spiders are like that naturally in this book? Spiders are just terrifying. Fuck spiders. <laughs> There's little spy spiders watching us being like. You didn't know that? That's like. <laughs> didn't I at one point say like when we like to deter roaches, we should just put roach heads on little like pikes outside of the house. <laughs> God. On little teeth fix. Anyway. That night, he wakes up and his arm is super swollen and he is tied down by spider silk. Oh, God. Uh, And he is promptly devoured by a swarm of mutant spiders. There's also apparently, like, a really, really big spider that's, like, directing them. In a weird way, I pictured, like, front legs and music conductor. (laughs) From a spider. That would be adorable. Oh, my God. With, like, a top hat? Yes. And apparently this spider is, quote, the size of a large 
crab. Oh, they have those spiders. Those co- what are they? Coconut spiders or something? Coconut crabs? Maybe I'm thinking of crabs. Now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yes. No, no, those ones in Australia aren't they spiders? Where it's like there's like pictures of them like the size of trash cans and shit. Anyways, I'm sorry. No, those aren't spiders. Are those crabs? Probably. Okay. The largest spider is the Goliath bird-eating spider. That's the one that you see stretched across dinner plates. Oh, uh, okay. Also, <laughs> no. Fuck that. Too huge. <laughs> never heard you say that before. You've also never heard me make a gagging noise before. <laughs> You're cutting both of those. <laughs> oh, really? Because I, I have the power. Because, again... Co-workers, which also I just remembered, if you're listening to this, hi, Pam. You've also said you would listen to this podcast. Oh, boy. I was thinking more like king crabs, which are, like, fucking enormous and mm-hmm. huge. And delicious. This is also true. So look up king crabs, y'all, and pretend it's a spider. Uh, no. Anyway, so this spider floats down at some point. And I'm pretty sure that it was just, like, it had some spider silk. And that's the author's clunky way of describing that, like, horrifying. Like, they're dropping with the legs moving. Yeah, they do that. But I thought we were going to go in the direction of flying spiders. (laughs) And I cannot stress enough (laughs) how that is, like, my worst nightmare. (laughs) That, like, fake news article that goes around that's, like... Flying spiders discovered in, like, the UK or something. Like, every time I see it, I Google it to make sure it's fake. <laughs> and that's the end of Dan. Yeah. Okay. Dan. Yes, Dan. Ripped in. Well, I guess what amuses me is, like, that's just the first chapter. Like, the guy whose name is on the back of the book is already dead. So I hope you weren't attached to super buff Daddy Dan. Because he's gone. The next chapter centers around... And I promise I'm not going through this chapter by chapter, but some of the deaths are so good. Uh, The next chapter centers around a couple being killed in their home. They're not main characters either. It's just more death. I only mention this because the wife is in the bathtub and she sees one of the mutant spiders. And it's between her and the door. And she literally thinks to herself that she can't run away, obviously, because that would mean passing by the spider. And that's like the biggest mood ever. I totally feel that, girl. (laughs) It also serves to let us know that the spiders will not enter water. Okay. Because basically they just like eat her arm. Well, why didn't she just put her arm in the bathtub? Because the rest of her was in the bathtub. I don't know. She was scared. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That's fair. People don't act rationally sometimes. I'm going to go. And I will probably rant about this more in a minute. But like all of the women in this book are either sex objects or kind of just dumb. Sounds about right. Which is really annoying. They deserve better. So now we finally meet Alan, Dan's son. How do we know that he's Dan's son? Well, for one, the books tells us. Two, Alan is also extremely jacked. Yeah. Genetics man. Yeah, I know, right? My dad's super lanky and my mom is teeny tiny and the result is me. So Alan is a scientist And he and Inspector Bradshaw are investigating his father's death. And then Inspector Bradshaw hears about the other couple. And he's like, sure, Alan, you can ride along in my cop car. Maybe they're super good friends. I'm just pretty sure it doesn't work that way. I feel like small towns can kind of be a little bit like that. You know, they're just like, whatever. At both residences, uh, Alan finds spider legs. And he notes that they are weird looking because they are too big and Too armored, which, great. (laughs) Just what I wanted to hear. So here we have a little interlude, and I believe that this is one of the best-known scenes in the book. I read some of the reviews about this, and people talk about it. In it, Susie, who is 16, is meeting up with her married lover, Mr. Pringle, which is all I had written in my notes. I don't actually remember. I think he's like a teacher or something. Mr. Pringle sounds like a cat. Well, I mean, if it's the size of a Pringles can, Mr. Pringle can come over anytime. They meet up for awkward sex in the woods. Side note, this book is British, and the British age of consent is 16. So does it feel weird? Yes. But it's also the social equivalent of, like, barely legal 18-year-old. So I'm not going to count this as pedophilia, primarily because I would really like to read a book that doesn't have incest or pedophilia (laughs) in it. It's not possible. For once. (laughs) Just for once. So she's on her back looking up as, like, they're having mediocre missionary sex 
and she thinks that she sees leaves falling. She realizes that they are spiders right at the time that she has an orgasm. Yikes. Which is a great way to ruin an orgasm. (laughs) Pringle runs off, leaving her behind, and you might think that's an asshole move, but that's fine. His back is covered in spiders, so he goes down pretty fast. She manages to escape, but no one believes her because she is just the 16-year-old town bicycle. But then they find Pringle's body. So, you know, then you can then you can believe her. Yeah, I mean, you really can't believe women, obviously. They just lie, manipulate. That's what I've learned from this week's selections. This is also a joke, obviously. <laughs> I was about to say, please tell people this is a joke. Sometimes your delivery is not... Like, I know you're joking because you're smiling, but people can't hear your teeth creak together when you smile, so you need to tell them. So there's another family that gets killed by the spiders. Again, I'm not going to talk about each death in detail because there are literally hundreds of deaths in this book. So many people die. Hmm. It's insane. This one I particularly enjoyed, though, because the wife of the family... Uh, she gets so scared of the spiders that her heart literally explodes. I felt very seen God. in this book. <laughs> First, you have the one woman who's like, I can't run past the spider to the door because the spider will jump on me and kill me. And then you have the woman who's like, what? Spiders? And her heart just blows up. Okay. I get it. So the spiders cut a huge swath across England. And the terror comes from like the sheer number of people who are dying. Like... A kindergarten class gets eaten. (laughs) That was pretty good. And so, like, your fear comes from that and from the growing fear of, like, the spiders are almost to London. And then there's this huge, like, dash for everyone to fly and leave England. It's not the most fucked up part of the book as far as, like, just being weird. But it is some of the most fun to read. I mean, I personally love it when the body count in a horror novel just flies upward with abandon. Yeah, I like I like big body counts. It's harder to do that in movies because you have to show everything. Yeah, in books you can be like, 37 kindergartners died <laughs> and you're done. Um, yeah. oh. So I will post a picture to our stories, but as I've mentioned before, I have color-coded book flags that I use when I'm reading books, and lilac is death. So I'm going to like post a picture of the edge of the book because there's like, 40 lilac tabs sticking out of it. It's like 120 pages. That's not even that long of a book. Yeah, it's a teeny tiny book. And it's just like, I mean, there were times that I was putting like three or four on the same page. Because it was just like death, 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 death. Sorry, I was, uh, for some reason, because you had directed me to the book, I was looking at it more and I was reading the tagline for it. Oh, I forgot about the tagline. Share share with the class. (laughs) The tagline says, out of the earth crept mankind's oldest nightmare. I mean, <laughs> is that I'm just spi- saying. Is that spiders? Though? It's always spiders. The answer is always spiders. So during all of this time, Alan, a colleague of his who's named Pete, and Louise, who is his girlfriend, who is not really given much substance. Again, I was deeply annoyed about the treatment of women in this book. They were working to discover what they could about the spiders. Because they are, again, like, moving across England. And then, all of a sudden, the spiders disappear. They're just gone one day. Hmm. Spoiler, I, if I remember correctly, it's like they ate so much food they needed to digest. All right. Yeah, I mean, that happens. Well, as we've seen any time that COVID cases drop, even slightly, as soon as there is a whiff of normalcy, people throw any and all caution to the wind and pretend that everything's fine. So there is a huge gathering of people in a church, and they are holding a special worship to praise God for ending the plague of the spiders. And then all of a sudden, spiders drop from the rafters and pour out of the pipe organ and kill everyone in attendance. It's so good. (laughs) All that said, again, there's lots of death, but the explanations are the best part. So let's just roll around to those. First off, the venom causes mutant cells to form. So like, kind of like cancer, I guess. Except, then those cells eventually travel to the brain and cause it to burst. Surprise! Hmm. So like, your brain just explodes. They explode the brains. That's kind of cool. But usually you're eaten first, so that's not actually like anything. 
There's also a variety that has venom that just makes you go insane and attack other people. How did these spiders happen, you ask? You didn't, but I'm telling you. Is it radioactivity? Close. (laughs) Oh, God. There was a government research facility (laughs) where they were trying to develop a poisonous gas that would kill humans but leave all of the wildlife intact. So, yeah. The real horror here is biological warfare. Our main heroes call in one of the scientists who worked at the lab, and he explained how they did tests, including testing on humans, uh, amputees, coma patients, the terminally ill. Yikes. The gas killed humans, saved livestock, but killed most insects, but not the spiders. So, of course, being scientists, they were like, I wonder why. Let's test on more. So they flew in species from all over the world. To test on them. Okay. This also includes a species called Stegodiphus, which is a type of spider that swarms. Spiders usually hunt so- as, as like a solitary creature. Okay. This is like <laughs> a swarm of spiders. I looked up a video. Yeah. I was at work, so I felt like slightly safe, but not safe enough. I'm assuming they're not from around here anyway. No. They're not, but they could be. (laughs) What if they travel? Not with these COVID restrictions. Anyway, the gas makes the spiders mutate, so they start crossbreeding with each other. Like, their hormones mutate, so they crossbreed and they make, like, super spiders. For example, the spider that has the poison that causes you to go mad is actually a variation of a brown recluse, even though that is not logical because brown recluse venom is necrotic, not a neurotoxin. Why do I know this? Because know your enemy. (laughs) that said we're not really looking for consistency when we come to horror from the 70s and 80s so for those of you who are playing at home and thinking to yourself oh my god i can't believe that there is this character who's brazenly talking about how he experimented on humans worry not because he isn't too happy with himself so he grabs one of the spiders that our heroes had captured to study and puts it on his neck so that the spider can kill him what he, like, commits suicide by spider. Ugh. I, that... N- no. That seems like a really bad choice. And also at this point, for those of you playing at home and for Max, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's all well and good, Cole, but how do they save the day? And I was wondering the same, frankly, because this is an extremely short book, and at this point, I was about 20 pages from the end. <laughs> and we had nothing. So buckle up. Because apparently, Louise comes down with the Dutch flu. What is the Dutch flu? I assume it's like the Spanish flu, but taller, fairer, and with a lot more <laughs> sounds. Okay. Um, and that's when, all of a sudden, Alan is like, wait a second. These mutated spiders may not have immunity to diseases. Let's feed some of the spiders some meat infected with your blood, because your blood has Dutch flu in it. I thought you were going to say, let's feed them Louise. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just just hold up. Uh, oh. So it works, which makes the spiders they tested on die. During this time, when Alan is like super excited, he does not close the lid of the container of spiders well enough. So the spiders that they've captured get out and they attack and eat Louise. Oh, God. And the fellows are like, damn, that sucks. But at least she had the Dutch flu. So all the spiders will die. That seems like a really ham-fisted... Like, wrap up, because also a lot of people are sick. No, well, I mean just the spiders that they had in the lab. Don't worry, we have to wrap up the rest of England. Okay. The destruction of the spider horde comes in two phases. First, we have the poisoning of the horde. How do they do that? This is the real horror. They make it rain cats and dogs. Literally. They gather strays and they empty every animal shelter in England. There is even a part where they talk about how in some areas the government seized people's house pets. They infect the animals with Dutch flu. And then they strategically airdrop the infected animals into the middle of giant spider hordes. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't feel like that would ever pass today's standards. But what about the nest, you ask? This is very important. So our heroes go back to the abandoned research lab to kill the rest of the spiders. And here we find the final variety of spider that we haven't seen before. 
the breeding spiders. That was my nickname in high school. Their bodies are, and I quote, five feet wide, three feet tall, and six feet long. That's not even counting the legs. I thought I was going to die just reading that description. I mean, that's huge. That's like a van. Yes. Yikes. And if your first thought was, kill it with fire, worry not, gentle listener, they certainly did. They bombed the facility in a two-mile radius. The end. That makes sense. Fire is always how you kill spiders. That's literally the end. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) Ta-da! So was it an enjoyable read? Uh, Well, all in all, I think I would give this three out of five beetles held in the death jaws of a roly-poly spider. All the death was kind of fun, but overall, it was a shit show. But shit shows can be good. But this wasn't like, this is like a mediocre shit show. Oh. Shit shows can be very good. I have read a few of them, and they were, I mean, we all remember Evil Dreams with the Hitler sperm. Oh, yes. That was a shit show, but that was a good shit show. And shit shows can be bad, like your movie this week. This was a mediocre shit show. So three out of five. Mm. So <laughs> I can't, I already know what you're going to say. I'm if you were in spiders, <laughs> would you be killed? Yes. <laughs> Obviously. Because they're spiders. No, in all reality, like I said, like thousands of people are killed. This is a giant like swath of spiders. They go across an entire country and just eat everything in their path. So yeah, I'd probably die. Yeah. This is a stupid question. Would you die in New Year's Evil? Obviously not, because he only kills women, because he's a toxic dickbag. And he also only kills a couple people, because he can only kill people at the stroke of midnight. So, no. He's very limited. He is very limited. That's fine. I make up for it in my book. Yeah. What a week. Bad week for women. I mean, to be real, the 80s were not like a great time. So, okay. Anyway. On that note, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Goodreads at Second Did I Pod. You can also email us questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions if you want at secondedipod at gmail.com. And we hope that you have a wonderful last few days of the year. I'm not going to say that I hope that you have a good 2021 because I think we should all go into this year very quietly and not draw any attention to ourselves. And remember, if you can't be first, you can always be second to die.